So we are in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 26. Um, There's two opposites that we're going to see today. One is a seeker with all his heart. He's looking for the Lord. The other is a hater with all his heart. He's trying to stamp out the fire uh, that's been created around Jesus. And he hates it. And somehow they're both going to be attracted to Jesus. We're going to see that happen today. So we find ourselves with Philip again. Remember Philip, one of the first deacons? He's now running for his life. The growing persecution is after him. First there were threats, then there were beatings, and then there was murder. And he's running. He finds himself in Samaria. As he's in Samaria, he starts telling people what's going on in Jerusalem. And it's all because of Jesus of Nazareth. And he preaches Jesus. And he is blown away because it's almost like the whole community is on fire for Jesus now. And he's seeing this unbelievable uh, Great commission happening that Jesus says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to tell about me and I'm going to change hearts and lives. And Philip is right in the middle of it. There's a revival taking place and he's been asked to be in the middle. And he receives strange direction and orders from the Lord. Think about this. He's in the middle of a happening revival and now... Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, time to take off. What? Time to go? Time to take off? Things are just happening here. It's exploding for you, Lord. No, time to go. Go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he adds this, this is desert. This is desert? You want me to leave this happening place? And you want me to head to the desert, out into the wilderness, to nowhere? It's kind of like going on Highway 50 out across Nevada. There's no more barren, boring, terrible place than driving across the desert, headed to nowhere. Lord, that's where you want me to go? Samaria was where the action was. Uh, Philip is told to go to this undisclosed location. He doesn't even know why. He just knows the Lord is saying, you need to go. So it didn't make sense, yet he obeyed. Look at verse 27. He arose and he went. Apparently being noticed by the apostles and being the pastor of a huge church that God's putting together, that's not what mattered to him. What mattered to him, the ambition of his heart, was to love Jesus and just follow him. Whatever Jesus asked him to do. Makes me think of David, who was a man after God's own heart. This is a kind of man, kind of woman, that God will use in miraculous ways. Isn't that what we want to be? Oh, yeah. So your first note, if you like taking notes. Yes, Philip was a servant. He had a deacon's heart. And you know what? That's the heart 
that Jesus longs for and loves in his sheep. That's the heart that we want to open and have for him. So here he goes. Verse 27, he rose, he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. He was headed back home. Verse 28. He's sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the Spirit said to Philip, Okay, now that you obeyed and you're here, that's what I want you to do. See that chariot? Go near and overtake the chariot. So this Ethiopian, he was a man of great authority, great power, spoke under just himself right next to the queen. He was probably the queen's right-hand man. But we see he had a hunger for righteousness. Think about this. He had traveled over 200 miles across Egypt, across the desert, to Jerusalem, to the holy city. He's looking for spiritual answers. He's looking for the Lord. But now I think he's probably headed home disappointed and all he's got to show for his pilgrimage is this Gideon Bible that he found in his hotel room. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, scrolls of Isaiah were very hard to come by and very expensive and they had to be hand-copied by the scribes and authenticated by the high priest. So maybe this was a treasure that he was taking back for the queen. But he had it in his hands. And he was reading this scroll. And look at verse 30. I love this. So Philip's been given orders. Head to the desert. Huh, okay. See the chariot. Yeah. Run and overtake it. So, verse 30, Philip ran to him. Notice Philip's enthusiasm. That word enthusiasm comes from the Greek phrase entheos, meaning full of God. Remember Philip? He was known for being filled with the Spirit of the Lord. He was chosen as one of the first deacons. And again, that's the kind of man or woman that God can use. One who is just wants to be full of the Lord, not full of themselves. Your second notes, real enthusiasm is being full of God. That's what being truly enthusiastic in life is all about. It's filled up with the Holy Spirit. So, Philip approaches the Ethiopian, and we go on with verse 30. It says, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, Understand what's going on when the Holy Spirit directs you, when the Holy Spirit directs Philip to share your faith, to reach out and to love someone and to be there for them. If God is prompting you, you can be sure that he's on the other end prompting that person at the same time. The Spirit's on both ends of the connection. So he's reading a Bible out loud. Philip recognizes it's Isaiah, and in fact, it's a very scripture that speaks directly of Jesus. Hmm, what a coincidence, right? No. And Philip 
asked, do you understand what you're reading? As we go on with verse 30, verse 31. He says, how can I? Unless someone guides me. I, I, I don't know what this is talking about. And he asked Philip, come on up here. Sit with me. Is this something you can help me with? And I'm thinking, what a wonderful, divine appointment. Middle of nowhere, you never know when things are going to get really exciting if you love Jesus with all your heart and you're looking for divine appointments and you're full of the Spirit of God. And Lord, you have a divine appointment for me today. Well, you never know where that might be. In fact, he finds in verse 32, the place in the scripture which he was reading was this. Are you ready for this? Some 700 years before the Lamb of God was sent into this world. The place in scripture was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now this Ethiopian could have very well been in Jerusalem and could have been a spectator of this taking place right before his eyes. And all of a sudden, it's becoming recognizable to him. And it goes on in his humiliation, verse 33, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Isaiah 53, 7. And Philip couldn't have asked for a better launching pad for the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53. It's one of the most detailed, clearest descriptions of the cross of Christ that we find in the Old Testament. There's even possibly more in Isaiah 53 about what Jesus went through on the cross than in the Gospels themselves. So here he is. He's with this man who has a hunger for righteousness and God has brought them together and Philip is now sharing Jesus with him. So verse 34, the eunuch asked, asked Philip, he said, I ask of you, of whom does this prophet say this? Is it of himself or some other man? What's going on here? And Philip opened his mouth and said, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> and beginning with this scripture, and oh, I love this phrase. Look at this. What did Philip do? He preached Jesus to him. What a joy it is to preach Jesus, to share his word, that we might hear from him, see him, be drawn to his heart. Our lives change from the inside out. And there's Philip. He's going, whoa, out in the middle of nowhere, not even knowing what was going on. And now you're bringing me to this leader of a nation and he wants to know about my Savior. Wow, what a great divine appointment. He preached Jesus to him. It's a divine setup 
Obviously, God wanted this man to be saved. He sent this, this choice servant of his all the way from a revival that's going hot out into the desert for one man. Just for one man. Divine setup. You know, whenever anyone gets saved, it's a divine setup. God's at work because he's the one that draws us to himself. And he's the one that somehow brings us together with him. Obviously, we say, yeah, I found God. No, God found you, actually. I love Jesus' heart as he expresses it in Luke chapter 15. And he puts it this way in a way that they could understand, most of them being shepherds. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Do you hear Jesus' heart in this? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Wow. You see, the Lord literally carries us into heaven. First, he took our sins upon his shoulders, didn't he? He became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then, he loves us just like we are, but he loves us so much he's not going to leave us that way. And he places us on his shoulders, and he carries us, and he continues to minister to us and change us from the inside out. He's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which is lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance or they're saying, I don't need the Lord, I'm doing just fine. But God loves and reaches out, touches a heart, puts that heart on his shoulders, his sins first, and then himself second. That's Jesus' heart. And we see it happening right here. Verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. Undoubtedly, we've missed a whole lot of of Philip preaching Jesus. He had a lot to say. And the Ethiopian is just soaking it in. So they come to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? What hinders me from giving my heart to Jesus? What hinders me from telling the whole world that I belong to him and he has come into my life and I have eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I, can I do this? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, yeah, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I like Philip's response to the Ethiopian's question. I like that. If you believe with all your heart. See, it's more than a head thing. It's all about the heart. Hebrews 11.6 goes like this. Without faith, without trusting, without giving your heart, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And the Ethiopian, I believe 
that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that means anyone who opens their heart, God will reward with eternal life. Come into <clears throat> that man, that woman, that boy, that girl's heart. And then, so here's water. Can I be baptized? I believe in Jesus as my Savior. Do you love Jesus as your Savior? I do. With his help, do you desire to follow him all the days of your life? I do. Well then, you're going to get baptized as a testimony to your love for Jesus and what he's done for you. So, verse 38 he commanded the chariot to stand still. Whoa, here we are. Let's do it. Let's get this done. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, this isn't the end of the story for Philip or for this Ethiopian. Church history <coughs> records tradition, <coughs> excuse me, records that this African official went home and he continued to love the Lord and seek the Lord with all his heart. And he began to look for divine appointments to share about Jesus, to preach Jesus to his people. And he brought Christianity to the whole African continent. Even today, there's a vibrant Christian community that exists in Ethiopia that can trace its roots directly back to this Ethiopian eunuch. What happened to Philip? This pretty amazing stuff. Listen to verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he goes, hmm, but he went on his way rejoicing. I bet he went more than, hmm. I bet he goes, whoa, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, look at verse 40. But Philip was found in Azotus. Now, stop there for a second. Apparently, God had a little rapture practice that he wanted to do to see, now, is this really going to work? Okay, so, well, we know that in Revelation, he called John. John, come up here. Revelation 4, verse 1. So he, he's been practicing. Rapture could happen any moment, any time. The Lord will speak our name. We'll be caught up. Really? Yeah. We're told the Lord caught up Philip. It's the Greek word haparzo, or to snatch. It's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that speaks of the lifting up, the catching up, the snatching of the bride of Christ, the church. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and each of us will hear our names, I believe. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up, that same word that was used for Philip, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, comfort, encourage, look forward to that trumpet sound, one another with these words. So here's Philip, and he winds up in a totally different place, 35 miles north of the road to Gaza. I wonder if there were some hanging out shepherds in the field, the first UFO. What was that? I don't know, but he was, he was really on the move. Wow. So 35 miles north, it was obviously a miracle of divine transportation. You've got to let your mind kind of go a little bit crazy here, wondering exactly what that might have looked like. So he lands at Azotus and, verse 40, as we go on, and passing through, so he lands and he just keeps on trucking. What's he doing? Well, he's preaching Jesus wherever he goes. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, this is fascinating to me. Somehow, he ends up in Caesarea and he likes it there. And he might have he might have said, you know, Lord, it's always been a dream of mine to kind of end up by the sea, by the ocean. Maybe even have oceanfront property. I don't know. What do you think, Lord? Well, Philip and his four daughters end up there. They settle in this beautiful seaside town of Caesarea. Later in Acts 21, Paul and his buddies will hang out in Caesarea with them at their house. What an adventure this was for Philip. In your notes, number four, did you know that life is a thrill ride when we follow Jesus, when we desire to serve and to love others and we dare to desire for divine appointments, to share our faith? You kind of never know what might happen today or tomorrow or in the future. It's pretty amazing to be like Philip, to have a heart for the Lord and to really desire divine appointments. So, now as we come to Acts chapter 9, we find a whole different kind of character. We find a man who hated even the word Jesus. He hated Jesus' followers even saying that word. He calls himself in 1 Timothy 1.13 a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, a murderer. So now we find Saul, just the opposite of this Ethiopian. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's taking his hatred, his vengeance to the next level. Rabbi saw Saul, he had overseen the, the murdering, the killing, the stoning of Stephen. And he was now waging war to silence those Christians who were spreading the fire of Jesus' love. His venom had 
only fanned that fire because as he started coming after them, there they go. Philip was one who ran because of the persecution. But what happened? The fire of Jesus just caught hold wherever he ended up. And Saul was going, I'm going to stomp this out, whatever it takes. As Christians fled the persecution, they took the love of Christ with them and the gospel and the truth about Jesus with them. And new fires just kept starting. Believers had, had ran from Jerusalem. They'd gone to Caesarea. They went to Samaria where Philip ended up for a while out into the desert, and now they were springing up in Damascus, of all places, 140 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And so Saul takes his rage on the road, and he's committed, whatever it takes, I'm going to stomp this fire out. So here he goes. We continue with verse 1. He went to the high priest, and then verse 2, he asked letters from him into the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, and I think boys or girls or children, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The first believers were all Jews. They were under Jewish authority. They were under the authority of the high priest. And Paul excuse me, Saul says, I want letters from you, I want your authority, and I want to get them, I want to bring them back, I want to stomp this out. And they were more than happy to give him that permission. Notice how Saul refers to Christianity. It's fascinating. He calls it the way. On your notes, number five, Christianity isn't a moral code. Christianity is not a system of beliefs or religious rituals. Christianity is Jesus, the way, you see. Jesus who declared, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I believe that this is a man who hated what was going on so much. I believe part of the reason was Stephen's testimony. It had absolutely gotten under his skin. And all he could think about was stomping out this message. It infuriated him. He couldn't stand what Stephen did and said and how Stephen affected him when he was there and murdered Stephen stood by and made it possible gave the authority to murder Stephen it was about to find out that the way huh, he was about to find out about the way the hard way verse 3 as he journeyed He's breathing fire. He's filled with anger. He's filled with hate. He's headed to Damascus. He's getting close. And suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. 
And it says, it, he fell to the ground. We'll stop there. Some artists depict Saul on horseback being knocked out of the saddle to the ground. The light from heaven certainly knocked him out. Whether Saul was on horseback or on foot, he definitely was riding his high horse. And he was knocked to the ground. And it was a long fall for this proud, pompous rabbi, Saul. Saul was headed to Damascus to knock Christians down. And the Lord knocked him down on the way. And we continue with verse 4. And he heard a voice from him saying to him, Saul, Saul. Anytime Jesus says your name twice, you're in trouble. <laughs> okay, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my lambs, my church? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? So, you might pick on Cheryl Talley, but it's going to involve me. Okay? And here, Jesus, you might pick on the bride of Christ, but it's most certainly going to involve the groom, Jesus himself. He takes it very personally. He loves his bride. He loves you and me with all his heart. Isn't he something? Yeah. So he said, verse 5, Who are you, Lord? One of my favorite John Wayne movies is Big Jake. I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's one of my favorites. In the final scene, the villain gets shot and looks up at John Wayne at Big Jake. He says, Who are you? And Wayne answers, and he's surprised. I thought youth was dead. And Big Jake says, not hardly. <laughs> this is the picture that I see with Saul and Jesus. So Saul, he's going, I thought you were dead. And Big Jesus knocks Saul to the ground, and he's looking up. He's knocked off his high horse, and Jesus says, not hardly. I'm alive. And he recognizes him. And he recognizes that fact. We go on verse 5. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he says something interesting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What, are kicking, what does that mean, kick against the goads? Well, goads are cattle prods or or prods for an animal, whatever they might be. As a Boy Scout, I had the job of following the pack horse and prodding it from the rear. I was the little guy. Anyway, that's what happens. You prod, and it gets the cattle or the donkey or whatever it might be moving and gets it moving in the right direction. And it's a good illustration of how the Holy Spirit prods those that God is after, that stray from God. His whole Holy Spirit begins to prod. You can't escape his prodding, by the way. Saul was trying to stomp out publicly 
the very thing that haunted him privately deep down in his heart. He could not get Stephen's face out of his mind. The joy that Stephen was filled with. The peace that Stephen had in his heart. They had stones. They were going to put him to death. The forgiveness that Stephen voiced. Father, forgive them. The glory of God that Saul saw in Jesus' face radiating. He shined with Jesus. I think it was everything in life that that Saul wanted out of religion, but all he found was hatred. Saul couldn't shake this testimony. You see, God was prodding him and he was fighting and kicking against God's prod and against the testimony of Stephen. You know, usually we think those, those who are most vo- vocal and violent and persecutors are the hardest nuts to crack to come to Christ. Oh, they'll never come to Christ. Believe me, that's what the early church thought about Saul. There's no way he would ever come to Jesus. But actually, it might be a picture like Saul of them just fighting against God, kicking against the goats. Dear ones, there's hope for that loved one who seems to be even violently fighting against what you're trying to share with them. Keep praying. Keep praying. So, verse 6, trembling, astonished, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's the first proof proof of the genuineness of Paul's heart and conversion. It's his cry, Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? This angry, violent man melts, breaks. He's trembling. He's seen Jesus. He realizes Jesus is alive. Saul your notes, final note, verse number six. Saul realizes if Jesus rose from the grave, from the dead, it means he's Lord of life. Let that sink in. This man did. Saul surrenders his life to Jesus. Lord, what would you have me to do? Are you fighting against God today? Whatever it is, stop kicking against the goats. The Holy Spirit may be prodding you. Open your heart. You can't win. It's best to surrender. And when Saul does surrender, Jesus gives him his marching orders. Basically, you could sum it up in two words. Follow me. Stop making your own way and follow me. I'm Lord of life. You'll never go wrong following me. So the Lord says, we go on verse 6, Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now notice this. Jesus only gives one step at a time. Kind of like Philip. 
Go to the desert. Why? Go into the city. Okay. And what, is, what does he do? Well, Jesus is Lord of life, so he follows him. He does, he does what the Lord tells him to do. Before he gets step two, he's going to have to obey step one. Once he gets to the city, he'll get the next direction. And we'll get to that next time. Verse 7, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. <laughs> I guess. I mean, they were, they were almost horrified. What is going on? He was their leader. He was their champion. He was the one that was going to stomp out this Jesus and Christianity and the message about him. And here he is, speaking to Jesus, Lord. And they heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone. Then Saul rose from the ground. He was literally helped up. His eyes were open. He couldn't see. He had been blinded. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And it says, verse 9, he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Worship team, come on up. We're going to close with Saul's testimony. God physically blinded this man, I believe. He's now a servant of his Lord. The last memory that he had was what? It was the blinding light of the Lord Jesus Christ himself glorified and, and Jesus himself speaking and calling Saul's name. Saul. Saul. And so he's blinded. He can't see. All he can see is that last memory that he saw, Jesus himself. It's, it's literally being etched forever into Saul's mind and heart. And you see, that's how we change when we see Jesus. We see Jesus in his word. And we, when we see him, we start to become like him. It's a miraculous thing that happens when we seek the Lord and we see Jesus. And here's Paul. And Jesus himself is being so etched into Paul's memory that he will never, never forget his Lord, his glorified Savior that he saw. His testimony will close with this. 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16. He's now known as Paul because he's given his heart to the Lord. I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ himself. Well, now he's preaching Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
I am one of the worst of all. I'm the chief of sinners. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience for even the worst of sinners. Others will realize that if he can save Saul, if he loves Saul, why he loves me. He loves you. He became, put you on his shoulders on the cross. And he gave you and me his righteousness. And now, like that shepherd, he's carrying us, his sheep, on his shoulders through this life. What a Savior we have. And others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Saul says, I thought yous were dead. And big Jesus says, not hardly. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and worship him. Chuck, let's do the second song. Come all ye weary, come all ye thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. So here's a man who was so filled, so blinded by vengeance. Jesus had to knock him to the ground. You don't, you don't have to get to that point. The door's wide open. And oh, how he wants to carry you and me on his shoulders through this life. He loves us so much. What are you waiting for? Paul, who became Paul, Saul, who became Paul, realized if Jesus is alive, and he is, he's the Lord of life, I'm going to give him my life. What are you waiting for? Give him your life? become your savior he'll carry you through this world he loves us so much Jesus if there's anyone here today who's never received you as their savior may they just simply say Lord what would you have me to do like Saul may they just simply give you their heart and in turn and follow you for the rest of their lives I pray in your precious name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day. Don't forget next Sunday's Mother's Day, guys. Okay. <laughs>